Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm honored to welcome the Foundation for Economic Education President Emeritus, Dr. Lawrence Reed. He's the former president of Mackinac Center for Public Policy, as well as chair of the Department of Economics at Northwood University. He is an editor and an author, and today we're going to discuss his 2020 book called Was Jesus a Socialist? Welcome to Core Principles. Larry, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing terrific, uh, Clay, and thank you so much for having me. My honor. So I noticed in your biography that you're from Pennsylvania, but you've also lived in Michigan and Georgia. Now, that's almost a trifecta of 2020 election shenanigans. Uh, That's another topic, (laughs) but uh, had to get that in there. Well, I enjoyed your book, Was Jesus a Socialist? Uh, For you, as a credentialed economist, the answer, before you even started, must have been blatantly obvious, Uh, yet you dive into a lot of the explanatory details of the answer so that we readers can gain insight about the why of that answer. And so uh, the first thing I would like to ask you is what motivated you to write this book? Uh, Clay, this is an issue that has uh, interested me since my high school days. And in fact, the first time I wrote anything on the subject was uh, as a college student and uh, it was entitled God is not a socialist. (laughs) Looking back on that short essay, I realized that it was, uh, although on the right track, it was quite superficial. Uh, But then I guess I was only about 19 at the time. Uh, So I've been interested in quite uh, for quite some time in this issue. Uh, But in recent years, I've heard the claim more often than ever before that Jesus was a socialist. And I thought it was time that somebody in a fashion that uh, everyday people could understand would uh, take a look at that and find out if in fact it's really uh, true. Could could you make such a case? And upon rereading the New Testament multiple times, uh, looking upon it as uh, both a historian and an economist who happens to be a Christian, um, I thought there wasn't a uh, sliver of a case to be made that the teachings of Jesus were sympathetic in any way with the ethics or the economics of socialism. All right. Well, I'm hopeful that during the course of this interview, our listeners will, uh, if they don't already know that instinctively, will draw that conclusion based on real solid reasons. We may also, if we have time, discuss sort of why that claim keeps getting brought more and more. You mentioned that motivated you. I'd be interested in your take on why that's getting pushed, but we'll put that aside because to start with, I'm thinking that most listeners to this program are generally inclined to recognize that socialism has never been implemented in a way that is consistent with Christian principles. Your book is extremely valuable to us, even when we come in with that mindset, because you thoroughly explain why the arguments are false that say, well, Jesus was this uh, and this and those are socialist things. So what I thought might be instructive and hopefully fun 
is if I play devil's advocate and pose certain common arguments and then let you explain briefly why I am wrong. But before we do that, let's start at the start and ensure a common understanding for everybody listening and for me and for you about the definition of this word socialism with all the different claims that the leftists say that we've never really tried true socialism, it was never really done the right way, et cetera, et cetera, that excuses its catastrophic failures everywhere. Dr. Larry Reed, could you please explain to us what is socialism? Well, you're right, Clay, to uh, start the discussion by focusing on that because so much depends upon how you define it. Uh, so many people who are sympathetic to socialism think that it's nothing more than sharing and caring and giving things to people and that sort of thing. But, you know, there's more sharing and caring and giving under capitalism. Socialism's opposite than there ever is under socialism. In fact, uh, even governments behave that way. If you look at uh, the flow of government to government foreign aid, it's almost entirely from governments in relatively capitalist countries to governments in relatively socialist countries. The socialist countries are invariably the recipient countries because they haven't solved the problem of how to create wealth in the first place. So, uh, and you pointed out also that a lot of socialists say uh, uh, such and such is uh, socialism when somebody comes to power and proclaims to be a socialist. And then when it fails, uh, then they, the socialists say, oh, well, that wasn't it. Uh, we'll get it right the next time. They do that all the time, so it's kind of hard to nail them down. But I think the most important definition, the most valid definition of socialism is that it is force. It is the concentration of political power and then its consequent use of force to accomplish certain objectives. Uh, this word force is so important in uh, defining uh, socialism. Sorry, my dogs in the background are uh, getting in on the argument here. Uh, but it's so important to define it as uh, the legal use of force uh, because that is the one characteristic that makes it different from everything else. If you listen to a socialist talk, uh, they don't have a laundry list of you know tips for helpful living. Uh, uh, they have a laundry list of proposals they want to impose upon you. Uh, so uh, I'll often use this, the analogy of, of Girl Scouts coming to your door. If they come to your door and you answer it and they say, would you like to buy some cookies? And you're able to say yes or no. Well, that's kind of like capitalism. That's free enterprise. But if they show up at your door with a SWAT team behind them and they tell you when you've answered, you're going to buy these cookies, you're going to eat them, and you're going to like them, uh, then that looks a lot more like socialism. If it's voluntary, it's not socialism. That's another way to, uh, to put it. So it's the concentration of political power and the consequent use of force to achieve objectives like the redistribution of income or the government ownership of the means of production uh, or the central planning of an economy. Those are the objectives and they are achieved entirely by the use of concentrated and legalized force. Well, that's outstanding. And because that is so uh, like right on track with my preconception that I was going to introduce to you at the end after we did the devil's advocate thing. I'm going to change the order of these things. I'm going to uh, pose to you a question that I would ask everyone if I was trying to 
let people define for themselves what socialism is and really to see what you think of this. This is a layperson's attempt to get to a definition like you, the economist, just did. So um, we'll start with this idea, this truth that everyone has limited resources, even Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. They've got to prioritize what they do with their resources. So I'm going to ask you this personal question. Just need an honest response. There's not a right or wrong. It's just your own personal answer. You have limited resources, Larry. And do you naturally tend to first use those resources to take care of the needs of yourselves and your loved ones? Or do you first naturally tend to apply your limited resources to the needs of strangers? <laughs> I think I'm like just about everybody else. And that is uh, because I know myself best, because I know those around me, those close to me, those I love best and understand better than anybody else uh, what those needs are. That's my first priority. That's a good, honest answer. And it's not it's not wrong. It's not selfish. And I believe that you're correct, sir, that it is like everyone else. I believe that that yeah. is human nature. Now, even, even even the left, by the way, even leftists behave that way. Of course, I mean, it's, it's a human question. Yeah, there is a line in the federal budget for donations, but it's a it, it never has very much in it because even leftists who love government don't make donations to it. They give it they give to government the, the minimum that they're required to and otherwise spend their money in other ways. Nobody writes out a check to the Department of Health and Human Services. True enough. Well, now, given that fact that that is human nature, well, I contend that these competing economic models, largely capitalism, socialism, or supply side, demand side economic models, they are, and I'm an aeronautical engineer, so I understand about mathematical models, they all have assumptions behind them. And one of the key assumptions is how do people answer that question in their practical daily lives? Well, supply side economic model assumes that human beings behave the way that you and I just said we would behave and that others would behave. Therefore, that model has at least a chance to work. But socialism could only work if people's natural tendencies towards their behavior were the opposite of what it truly is. And that is why, Larry Reed, force is necessary because socialism requires the government make us act contrary to our nature. Is that a reasonable approach to this? Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, that's one of the many reasons I personally have uh, great problems with socialism of any variety, because it doesn't acknowledge some very essential elements of human nature. One of which is the fact that you and I are incredibly unique individuals. No two people who have ever lived on this planet have been precisely the same in every way. That's a remarkable statement about humanity. And it follows from that, that if everybody is different in any number of ways, well, then you cannot be fully human unless you have a wide sway over the choices in your life. Otherwise, if somebody else is telling you at every turn what to do, where to spend your money and what to spend it on and so forth, well, then if that can continues and accumulates in time, it would be accurate to say you're not living your life anymore. Somebody else is living their life through you. 
by trying to control your every action. So people have to be largely free in order to be human, to be who they are. And socialism runs counter to that because it tries to press us all into some common mold and expects us to follow orders when we have other ideas for our individual lives. That's a great point. And it reminds me of a point that kept coming back to me during the COVID pandemic, which was the push by the leftists in government that one size must fit all in our medical response to this novel virus. And so we won't go down that path, but one size does not fit all. That that's No, truth. it doesn't. And yet that's the socialist prescription for almost everything. Uh, they do not like diversity. Maybe in, maybe in uh, the color of people, things over which you have no personal control, uh, but they don't like diversity when it comes to things uh, from say political opinions to uh, personal choices about uh, how to live your life. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'm going to put on my devil's advocate hat now and present you, and you you go through these and more in your great book, Was Jesus a Socialist? But for the sake of our listeners and to uh, have this demonstration of how these arguments might be posed and responded to, I'm going to uh, hit you with some of the things that the leftists say that are trying to push the idea that Jesus must have been a socialist. So we go to the gospel of Matthew. Certainly, gospel is truth. Chapter 19, a rich young ruler asks Jesus, what may I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus tells him in part, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And then Jesus describes to his disciples how difficult it is for somebody to follow that instruction, how really impossible it is. He says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So, Larry Reed, surely Jesus opposed wealth. <laughs> I know that socialists love to claim that when they read that passage, but of course it's, it's, uh, uh, you have to consider the context of the entire New Testament. Uh, to assume that by what he said in that instance, that he wanted everybody and in all time to sell their possessions uh, is ridiculous. It would not comport with everything else that he said. Keep in mind that Jesus was responding to a particular person at a moment in time when that person was not only looking for an easy path to eternal life, but he wanted to be a sort of uh, member of Jesus's inner circle. Jesus knew where his heart was. And he laid it bare by his response to the man, uh, by saying, okay, effectively, if you uh, really want to get to heaven, uh, well, let me see if your heart is ready. Uh, sell everything you got. And, of course, we found out rather quickly that the man didn't really mean it. Uh, that was one thing he was not prepared to do. And when Jesus turned to the disciples and said, uh, it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven, what he was saying was not anti-wealth. What he was saying was, be careful, be cautious, keep your priorities in order. Don't let wealth rule you. With wealth comes great temptation. He would say the same thing, by the way, about power. He would be the first to say that uh, when human beings accumulate earthly power, uh, it's very difficult for them to stay on the straight and narrow because power corrupts. So um, there are many passages where Jesus extols the creation of value 
and the compassionate use of it. Uh, he doesn't oppose or condemn the accumulation of wealth per se, but he does warn that it's very difficult um, uh, to keep your character on the up and up uh, when you become wealthy, especially if it's quick. Uh, how, how often do we see that today in Hollywood or in uh, athletics uh, where people uh, come upon great wealth in very short order? Lots of people we discover can't handle it. It goes to their head. It corrupts them. It's a relatively small number that uh, from the start will learn to rule their wealth, not the other way around. Yes, sir. That's good. And something that also uh, occurs to me thinking about this, Jesus set impossible and beyond impossible standards. God had already set through the Mosaic law standards that we were not capable of living up to. And so we had atonement for our sins. But in the new covenant, Jesus is going to pay the price for all of it, but he wanted us to be certain to understand we require his salvation. We must have it. We cannot live up to the standard. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus challenged people. It's like, oh, you, you know you're not supposed to commit murder, right? I'm telling you, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer. You're a sinner. You're wrong. You're not supposed to commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you look lustfully at a woman, you're an adulterer. The standard is impossible. So, Jesus says, I'm going to provide what you're looking for, this salvation that you need and require, but you got to trust me. You can't yep. do it by gaining for yourself. Really powerful. Yes. All right. Back with the devil's advocate hat. How about when Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor? For yours is the kingdom of God. And he also said, woe to you who are rich, because you've already received your comfort. Now, what would I be missing, Larry Reed, if I claimed that these statements indicate Jesus was a socialist? Well, in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, when he is first recorded as saying uh, something similar, similar to that, he actually said, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit which is not the same as the poor in material income or possessions. Uh, and there's every reason to believe that later, uh, a later quote, very similar to this in the book of Luke, that he was speaking in the same context. Uh, poor in spirit uh, meant uh, a kind of humble uh, spirit. It meant the, the sense that, hey, I'm not in charge of everything. I'm not, I, I'm not the ruler of the universe. I'm not a smart aleck. There's an awful lot I don't know. How can I become a better person? How can I follow in the footsteps of my savior? Uh, uh, he was referring to people whose heart and whose mind uh, are, is open uh, so that uh, uh, they are prepared to accept the message that he was uh, sent to earth to bring. Um, there's a passage in the book of Luke where Jesus could have said something that uh, was anti-wealthy, but he didn't. Uh, he was actually confronted by a man who had a redistribution request. He said to the man, uh, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. This is Luke 12, 13 through 15. And Jesus responded not by saying, oh, you mean you didn't get as much? Oh, we'll have to do something to equalize that. We'll have to take care of that rich guy and give you some of what he's got. No. What he said was, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. 
who made me a judge or divider over you? At no point in all of his teachings did Jesus ever suggest, even remotely, that uh, uh, making your way to heaven depends upon the size of your bank account, big or small. He was interested in what was in your heart, not in your bank account. Amen. Yes, sir. Well, one more of these devil's advocate ploys. Uh, we know that socialism, as you've already pointed out, is directly tied to government structure and their power over us. So let me challenge you with Jesus' famous words that we should render unto Caesar, the government, the things that are Caesar's. What do we take from that? This is a very famous passage, of course, well known around the world to Christians and non-Christians. And socialists love to seize upon it and say, ah, uh, there he is uh, advocating uh, government taxation and perhaps unlimited taxation. Whatever the government wants, he's in favor of you paying it, which is absurd, uh, and it would not comport with other uh, teachings of Jesus. He was confronted in this instance by the Pharisees, who were trying to trick him into saying something that they could run to the Roman authorities with and say, ah, look, he's sanctioning tax evasion. He's uh, uh, pushing rebellion in some way. That's what they wanted to get him to say. And this is a very clever response on the part of Jesus. When the Pharisees hold up the coin and ask him, uh, you know, where does this go or who does it belong to? How should we pay our taxes with this or what? Various questions like that. Uh, his response is render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to God that which is God's. Now, look at that. Does he say anything like, well, if Caesar wants it, if he claims it, and it doesn't matter how much he wants or what he spends it for, you should cough it up. No, he's not saying anything like that. In fact, he leaves it to us to decide such matters as what is the proper size and of, of government. Uh, you could be an anarchist uh, believing in no government and be very sympathetic to what Jesus said here, because maybe nothing belongs to Caesar. Jesus left that up to us. So it's a very clever way uh, to uh, escape the trap that the Pharisees had set for him so he'd have more time to, to preach the gospel. Um, it's hardly a prescription for, for government or for big government or for anything government claims and whatever government wants to do with it. I noticed in your book you quoted another Lawrence, uh, this one Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC, who tried to tell us that Jesus would be for 100% taxation. <laughs> I yeah. Think, uh, yeah, even though uh, he came to uphold the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments in particular, and one of those says, thou, not, thou shalt not steal. Uh, it does not say thou shalt not steal unless uh, the government uh, does it or politicians have in mind something better for what's yours than you do. Um, it just says thou shalt not steal, period. And yeah, O'Donnell, my guess is, uh, has never read uh, a paragraph uh, from the Bible, or at least if he did, I don't think he understood it. Right. Well, we are into July now, and I love this time because we celebrate Independence Day. And I love independence because that is a prerequisite for liberty, and I am all yes. about liberty. Now, isn't it true, Larry Reed, that socialism always necessarily engenders dependence of citizens on the central government and that therefore socialism must necessarily be incompatible with liberty. 
Absolutely. Uh, I know of no exceptions. Socialism seeks to make people depend, <clears throat> dependent upon politics and the, uh, and the politicians and the political process. In fact, this is one of many of its uh, key distinctions from what is often regarded as its opposite, capitalism. Think of it this way. Under capitalism, if you want, you can kind of play socialism. You could, you could get your neighbors together. And as long as uh, they're all willing to do this and it's voluntary, you can get all your neighbors to agree to put all their earnings in a common pot and then have them equally distributed by some authority uh, afterwards. That would look like a kind of, of socialism. You could do that. Just, just make sure you don't put a gun to anybody's head. Do it freely. Chances are you wouldn't get many neighbors to agree to do that, but you'd be free to do it. But under socialism, you cannot uh, have the freedom to be a capitalist. Under socialism, when the government comes along and says, well, we got a new program, uh, you don't have the freedom to say, oh, well, thank you very much, but I, I don't really need it. I don't really want it. And I can think of a better alternative. See you later. Uh-uh. Socialists don't operate that way. They uh, think they know what's best, so they want to impose their ideas upon the rest of society. Uh, the first thing that goes when socialism takes over a country is freedom of economic uh, commerce, economic freedom, and not far behind it goes uh, freedoms of speech and religion and anything that really challenges the monopoly of the state is a threat to the socialist order uh, because they want conformity they want uniformity. They want central planning. They want top-down commands. They don't like people saying, sorry, don't need you. Want to do something else. So true and so terrifying, really. Uh, I listened to another podcast today on which the guest was Tanya Posobiec, uh, Jack Posobiec's wife. And she was born in what was the Soviet Union and then grew up in Belarus, a former Soviet republic. And she talked about how she got to come over here, and when she became a citizen, she cried when she Ooh. heard the, you know, the pledge and the anthem. Just yeah. uh, the people who escape socialism are great ambassadors for the truth of why it is not just wrong; it's evil. Yeah. And listeners, if you doubt that the government would impose this against you with guns, try not paying your taxes for a little while. And I guarantee you, government agents with guns will take you and lock you up. What organization in the government just bought millions of rounds of ammunition? It was the Internal Revenue Service. Yep. This is not a joke. Yep. Well, finally, Larry Reed, I'd like to ask you about what I perceive to be a sort of cynicism. And you mentioned it the first, you know, there's this question just keeps coming up. Oh, Jesus must have been a socialist. A cynicism behind the leftist arguments that Jesus must have been a socialist. I observe that leftists generally tend to resent the lordship of Jesus. Am I too harsh in that? Or is there some merit to that? What can you say about that? No, I think you're on the right track. I think generally socialists don't like uh, the teachings of Jesus, don't like Jesus, because he's offering an alternative to their utopian, earthly, uh, government-run paradise. Uh, and when people are serious about their Christianity, they don't look to the government to solve their problems. They don't look upon government as their savior. But socialists want you to do that, because that's how they make their system supposedly work. 
obedience, mandates uh, that you can't get out of, and conformity on the part of uh, the population. That's just uh, the nature of the system. And uh, everywhere it's tried, uh, it sooner or later uh, flops. And then socialists seem so intent upon learning nothing from those experiences, they just then move on to the next experiment uh, as if there's nothing to learn from the previous failure. Um, that, that's, that's a character issue, I think. When you, when you refuse to learn from the evidence before you, when you insist upon imposing upon others things that have been manifest failures, you've got not just a uh, shortage of economic knowledge, you've got a character problem as well. And, and socialists, I think, um, are, are, their character is often problematic. They are moral relativists in many cases. They are not interested in actual lessons from experience. They have an agenda and they mean to impose it uh, regardless of the outcome. Very true, and I just heard on some CNN replay a clip that I saw somebody uh, put a recording of that a CNN anchor asked a spokesperson from the White House about how difficult it is on families to pay these $5, he said $4.86, whatever, gas prices. Uh, and the guy's response, without irony, was... This suffering must continue until, and, and this is a paraphrase, he didn't use those words, he yeah. wouldn't dare. All of this is necessary and will have to continue unabated until we achieve our liberal or leftist or socialist world order. And I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> yeah, they're getting a little, little more bold uh, with the passing of each day. and. Uh, so often these days, you'll find a socialist who kind of lets something slip that we suspected, uh, but then he only proves by what he says. Reminds me of the old uh, saying, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, <laughs> that's the way they think. Uh, they are end justifies the means kinds of people. And uh, that's one of the most toxic motivations in human history to uh, figure that uh, anything goes that as long as uh, your end objective is served, anything is appropriate in getting there is, uh, uh, frankly, I think that's straight from the pit of hell. That's a, a kind of satanic doctrine that uh, puts truth to the side and says, my political agenda is more important than that. That's so accurate. And when they, say, when they talk about this and their ends justify anything to get there, they start with an assumption that they can perfect this world. Yeah. Utopia is not out of reach for them. And that is anti-Christian theology. That's right. We are a fallen. Uh, this is a fallen world. The Bible teaches that right from the get-go. And the idea that some mortal human being, a corruptible human being, and that includes every one of us, uh, can somehow be trusted with uh, enormous power over others is one of the uh, dumbest assumptions and most destructive assumptions in the history of, of humankind. Yes. And I would point out to listeners, we've talked about dependence and independence. And when we talk about it as we have in terms of our relationship to the central government, independence is necessary prerequisite for liberty and dependence on central government is incompatible with liberty but it is not this way in our relationship with god through jesus christ 
There, it is the opposite. We must be dependent on him. Trust me when I say no one in the central government in Washington, D.C. is the Lord. It, the relationships are not only different, they're opposite. So yes. uh, don't uh, conflate those listeners and think, oh, well, he's telling us this or that. No, they are completely distinct. Well said. Well, thank you very much, Larry Reed, for joining me today on Core Principles, and God bless you. Thank you very much, Clay. God bless you, too. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.